have your Bibles this morning, or your devices that have Bibles on them, turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, and our reading this morning will begin in verse 8, and I'll read through verse 10. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers, especially one in particular. When I was in the uh, master's program at Harding, I remember sitting in a class that was some sort of a ministry class, but I can't remember for sure. But anyway, the professor was talking about the roles of of husbands and wives. And I had mentioned to him that I was a Mr. Mom uh, at that time and had been for a couple of years. My wife, Kim, was was working full time and I was working part time and responsible for most of the household duties, including cooking, laundry and child care. Now, there's a little some disagreement about how much of that I did actually compared to my wife. But anyway, and he looked at me and said, but that's only temporary, right? So he had a belief system that said the role of the husband and father is to be the main provider for the family. While the wife and mother primarily oversees the home and, and, you know, I I don't find fault in that, but but that doesn't mean it's wrong for those roles to be altered or even reversed at times. What we see, though, in biblical history is, is what my professor was explaining. We know from Genesis 2, man was created first. Adam was the first human being in God's creation. He was created out of the dust of the earth. God then took one of the man's ribs, used it to create the woman. The woman was created specifically to be man's helper. They form a team, or at least they're supposed to. It doesn't imply that she's inferior in any way, but but because he created a man and a woman, God obviously had specific intentions about their roles in life and in the family in society. In 1 Corinthians 11:3 Paul wrote that the head of every wife is her husband. So God designated the man, husband and father to be the leader of his family. Men, husbands and fathers therefore have a very unique God-given role in life. The role of being a leader, you know, often sounds very appealing to us. But, you know, with that role comes great responsibility, duty, and sacrifice. Abraham is considered the father of Israel, especially particularly by the Jews. He was specifically chosen by God to become the father of the Jewish nation, out of whom, of course, would emerge God's son for the purpose of saving the world. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord communicated to Abram which was his name before it was changed to Abraham, and said, Go from your country 
your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. So as the leader of the family, the Lord commissioned Abram to take responsibility for moving his family from the familiarity of his homeland, his relatives and the home in which he grew up to a new and different land, a new and different place. Now, the Lord did give him some incentive here, of course. He said in verses two and three, I'm going to make you into a great nation and and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great and you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I'm going to curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I mean, that's quite an incentive. Uh, Is it worth moving From place to place, settling in an unfamiliar territory among people who are not your people and taking on that kind of responsibility. He'll not only be responsible for himself, but he's also going to be responsible for the welfare of his family, including wives, children, flocks, herds, servants who also have families. So Abraham here made a significant sacrifice to fulfill the commission that God gave him. Now, granted, he promised a lot in return. However, most of that would not have been realized until after Abraham was long gone. As a husband and a father, to be the head of your family is a significant responsibility. To provide for your family, you sometimes have to move to a different place. An unfamiliar place, and that can be very hard on a family. How many of you have done that? How many of you have moved from a a city to to move to another city or another state or another country even? Raise your hand. How many of you have done that? A lot of us have had to do that. I can still, I I may have shared this with you before. I can still remember the day we moved from Lancaster uh, or moved from Memphis to Lancaster to start the work there. My son, Carter, who was one year old when we moved to Memphis, was seven years old uh, as we were leaving, as we're driving out of Memphis. He's sitting in the seat right next to me, bawling his eyes out. Uh, Sorry. Um, Because he was leaving. I mean, this was his home. I mean, he went there when he was one year old. He was leaving his home. He was leaving his friends. He was leaving, uh, you know, all all to him that was familiar And it's still it was 21 years ago, but it still bothers me to this day. You know, on top of all that, Abraham was no spring chicken when he was asked to do this. He was 75 years old when when he left home, when God asked him to do this. And it wasn't until he was 99 that God made a covenant with him in chapter 17. Now, he did live to be 175. So 75 maybe might like might be like being in your 40s today. I don't know. and, And I can relate to that because I changed careers at the age of 40. But but the rest of what happens to Abraham, I really cannot relate. For example, after Abraham arrived in Canaan, he then shortly thereafter had to leave again because of a famine. It's a good thing he was living in a tent because, you know, you could just fold it up and take it with you. So they went to Egypt and Abraham said to Sarah while they were in Egypt, hey, if anyone asks you, tell them you're my sister. And actually, technically, she was 
his sister. She, her, uh, she had a different mother than he did, but the same father. I mean, that's what he told her to say because she was beautiful and he was afraid that someone would kill him to take her for his wife, for their wife. So, we, you know, we think the world's a dangerous place today. But when you read in the Old Testament, you know, I get the impression that it was as much or worse in those days than it was today. The second example for why I can't relate to this is in Genesis 14, Abraham's nephew Lot and his family who traveled with them. uh, They were taken captive. They separated at one point and they were taken captive. So Abraham had to muster up a bunch of soldiers among his family and to go fight to rescue Lot and his family. Uh, You know, about this time, I would have been saying to God, hey, I didn't sign up for this. You didn't say it was going to be like this. Example three as to why I I can't relate to this. In chapter 20, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was taken from him to become the wife of another king, some some other king. And that threatened to derail, of course, God's plan. So God intervened and she was returned to Abraham before this king had a chance to actually make her his wife. An example number four as to why I can't relate to this is during these years, Sarah has not been able to have any children. So... Sarah comes up with this plan. I'll tell you what, you take my servant, my personal servant, Hagar, and and maybe through her, I can have children. And and that's how we can do this. And that was not uncommon in that culture. So Abraham complies with his wife's wishes and Ishmael is born. First son Abraham has ever had. Ninety nine years old. I think he's 75. There's somewhere around 75, I think, at this time. I'm sorry. It was Isaac. He had Isaac when he was 99 years old. So 13 years later, so he has Ishmael. Ishmael's born, his son. 13 years later, the relationship between Hagar and Sarah sours, and she says, I want that boy and that woman out of here. I'm tired of it. This is Abraham's first son. He's been with him for 13 years. It's his own flesh and blood, and he loves his son. It says that in Scripture. And he doesn't want to send him away. He says to God in Genesis 17, 18, why can't Ishmael be my heir? God, however, reassured Abraham that he would take care of Ishmael, that actually God was going to create a whole nation out of Israel, out of Ishmael's descendants. But still, Abraham had to send his son away. You know, he lived with him, took care of him for 13 years. Again, I would have been thinking to myself, you know, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I was expecting, Lord. Why? Example number five as to why I can't relate to this. Abraham had another son, Isaac, when he was 99 years old. This was the son of his wife that Sarah gave him this time. It's like having a grandchild first. And if you've ever had grandchildren, you know what I'm talking about. In Genesis 22, God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac and sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. Okay, can, can you just imagine the conversation here between Abraham and God? God says that to Abraham. I'm sorry, Lord, I must have misunderstood because I thought for sure you you told me to offer my son Isaac as a sacrifice. 
you did. A burnt offering. A burnt offering. Lord, surely, surely you wouldn't expect me to. You do. Lord, I, I have lots of bulls and goats. Lord, I have herds and flocks. Just take them all. Take any one of them, Lord. You can have them all. No, you, you want Isaac. Why are you doing this to me? You know, when you examine Abraham's life as a leader and a father, you see a lot of struggles. You see a lot of sacrifices, leaving a place he lived for 75 years to go to a place he had never been before where no one knew him. Having to protect his family from harm, fighting in wars, saying goodbye to children he loved, being separated from his wife for a time with the thought that he might possibly lose her forever, fearing for his own life. And all the while having to believe in a plan that seemed impossible. Just the faith that required was incredible, at least to me. You know, in May, we honored mothers as we always do because mothers are worthy of honor. They make many sacrifices. They love their families in a very unique and special way. Moms are special. And no one disagrees with that. But let's not overlook the blessing of fathers. Fathers don't get the credit they deserve, in my opinion. And we always seem to be more concerned about non-moms on Mother's Day than we do about non-dads on Father's Day. Fathers are usually not as outwardly emotional as, as mothers are. It doesn't mean they're not emotional. They just don't express sometimes their emotions in the same way. Fathers were given the responsibility by God of leading the family. Abraham being an example. In fact, I think you could argue that men have been designed to in that in regard to personality and temper, temperament to fulfill that very role. And I, it's a role that I cherish, and I'm sure most of you fathers in here do as well. They typically have the primary responsibility of providing for their families. And now most mothers work outside the home and help with that. And in some cases... Mothers have jobs that provide more income than fathers do. But I think that's still the exception rather than the rule. When I was in the graduate school at Harding back in the 80s and early 90s, as I mentioned earlier, my wife was the main breadwinner for a while. She worked full-time. I worked part-time while I was going to school. She really did not enjoy being the main breadwinner. That was very stressful for her. She made me aware of that on many occasions. According to Dr. Willard Harley, who wrote His Needs, Her Needs, one of the top emotional needs a woman has is financial support. They prefer the husband to be the main breadwinner, especially when the children come along. And I'm sure there are exceptions, but generally that's what Dr. Harley found to be true among all the couples he had counseled. And, you know, prior to the 70s, um, I think it was the 70s, it was, it was unusual for men to change jobs. You know, my grandfather worked in the same steel mill almost from the time he came over here to this country until he died, or, you know, until he retired. And his son, my uncle, worked for that same steel mill, Wheeling Pittsburgh Steel, all of his working life. I mean, that, that, that doesn't happen very often anymore. Beginning in the 70s, you know, as the Industrial Revolution began to wane, it was not uncommon then for men to change jobs in order to advance their careers which very often involve moving families to other locations, states, or even countries. They often have to sacrifice 
fathers have to sacrifice time with their families in order to provide for them. Sometimes they don't get to go to the ball game uh, to watch their child play that day. Sometimes they're out of town for days or weeks uh, at a time as their jobs require. Sometimes they have to travel outside the country, be gone for weeks at a time. We all know people like that. So when you're the head of the family, you have many needs and responsibilities to meet. Fathers are responsible for protecting their families. It's, it's the primary uh, it's primarily men who go to war to protect you know, this country and our freedoms. According to CNN, women today make up only about 14.5% of our military. And thousands, thousands of men, thousands of fathers have lost their lives trying to protect their families and their country. Sometimes fathers sacrifice relationships with their children, sons, daughters, and wives when marriages fail. And usually it's the mom that gets custody of the children, not the dad. Fathers are expected to be tough but sensitive. They're expected to be strong and gentle. Fathers are often the heavy when it comes to Disciplining their children. I hated it when my mother said, you wait till your father gets home. Because when she said that, I knew I'd really done something bad. For years, men and fathers have been a target for all the ills that plague our society. And it's true that men make up about 93% of the prison population. So men definitely commit more crimes than women. And one of the reasons for that might be the high divorce rate and and the lack of a father in the family. According to Patrick Fagan, Ph.D., uh, in a speech he made to the World Congress of Families, he said divorce massively increases crime rates, abuse and neglect rates and the use of drugs. So that speaks for itself as to the importance of the father in the family. So today we want to recognize the blessing of fathers and, and how important they are to the family and just to the larger society itself. Fathers and husbands carry a lot of weight on their shoulders, and maybe that's why they're so broad. Uh, They've been commissioned by God to lead their families, and it's one of the most important responsibilities in which man engages, which men and fathers engage in life. I want to share with you this short story. It's titled, Thank You, Dad. It was in uh, one of the uh, a book called Chicken Soup for the Father's Soul. It says, my father got his first job at 11 years old, cleaning up the garbage outside of the bowling alley. Two years later, his dad died, and my father worked odd jobs to help put food on the table during the Depression. Ten years after that, dad fell in love, married mom, and had a baby girl. Eight more children followed. During those years, dad slipped into a routine he never broke. He woke up before six, took the train to work, wouldn't get home until after 5.30. After supper, Dad spent the rest of the evening in the cellar making dental parts for extra money. Two years ago, at the age of 64, Dad retired. When I was young, Mom and Dad did well to hide the fact that we were poor. We all went to Catholic schools and and always had plenty of school supplies. We slept in bunk beds, shared one bathroom, and watched television from a tiny black and white set up in the living room. Mom and Dad never bought anything for themselves. They clipped coupons, wore the same pair of sneakers for 20 years, and sewed ripped clothing together every Saturday afternoon. At his retirement party, I wanted to thank Dad 
for all of his hard work and sacrifice by buying him the best present I could think of. I wanted to buy him the big screen television he could never afford or send him on a vacation he never took. As I shopped, I realized there was nothing I could buy that could thank Dad enough. Dad taught me through his own hard work and and faith in God that the greatest gifts come from the heart, not the store. So that night, I sat down and wrote a list of thank yous to my father for all he had done for me. I left it on the kitchen table for Dad to read before going to work for the final day. Thank you, Dad, for waking up every morning when it was still dark outside and going to work while we slept in our warm beds. For teaching me how to pray. For coming to all my Little League games and for keeping quiet when other fathers wouldn't. For loving my mother with all your heart. For cooking me cheeseburgers. For building that voice inside me that said no when I was tempted to get in a car after I'd been drinking. For teaching me to hit to the right when I have two strikes. For giving me a hug when I badly needed one. For picking me up from the train station at night when I was afraid to walk home. For smiling often. For helping me buy my first car. For wearing that ugly paper tie I made you in first grade. For teaching me to root for the underdog. For praying for me. For fighting for our country in the war. For teaching me I can never say please and thank you too often. For giving me life even after you lost a son. For taking me out for ice cream the night I struck out with a tying runner on third. For teaching me to be generous to those less fortunate than me. For being a wonderful grandfather. For telling me it's okay to cry. For being my hero. For being my friend. That's written by James Ruka. So we thank God for fathers today. And I don't. I don't have to tell you fathers are not perfect. We all who are fathers know that. Especially those of us who are grandfathers as well. But, you know, just imagine what it would be like without them. Some in our society believe that that we'd be better off without men. But I don't think it would be very long. (laughs) I hope it wouldn't be very long before they'd realize the absurdity. Of that. Besides, the race would die out. Human race would die out. The best thing a dad, though, can do for his family is not necessarily to love their mother or provide a stable home or be a good provider, although all those are very important. But the best thing a father can do for his family, obviously, is to love God and to live for God. Because if he does that, all of the other things will fall into place. Nothing blesses a family more than a godly father. Besides, how can you really effectively lead your family without the help of God? You need to respond this morning. We invite you to come right now as we stand, as we sing.